The reading this morning is from uh, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. That is uh, Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 10. If you're using the, uh, the Bibles in the pews in front of you, it's found on page 834. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquities from you, and I will clothe you with, with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. Hear, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua... Upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. Good morning. You probably noticed uh, by my lack of mustache that I am not David Shannon today, but, uh, but I'm very excited to stand before you. I have a little bit, I guess, of, of mixed emotions as I stand before you because uh, on one hand, David today is with his family. That's where he needs to be for this time of year, I think, especially. Uh, and, but on the other hand, uh, we miss that guy when he's gone, and unfortunately, you're stuck with me today. So uh, I'm very excited, though, to be able to speak to you this morning. And uh, let's, let's take care of just a couple of housekeeping items before we begin. Uh, the first thing is this. Um, you, need, you need to be bragged on a little bit. You deserve that. Uh, this, this past Sunday, we kicked off our second annual Operation Christmas Turkey. And uh, we're very excited because we put a pretty big task before you last year. I think we had around 40 families uh, to take care of. This year, we upped it to 60. And uh, just one week later, every family is taken care of. So I really wanted to put that out there and brag on you for that. Um, the generosity that, and the kindness that you've chosen to show to these preachers and their families, uh, it really is going to mean a lot to them. Because of what you're doing, they're going to be able to have a very special treat this year at Christmas. They're uh, going to have a, a very nice Christmas dinner, like a Christmas turkey and all that kind of stuff. And so um, right now the encouragement notes that you all have turned in are being translated into Spanish. Elias has been working hard on that. And uh, tomorrow a check is going to be sent uh, to Latin American missions so that the money goes where it needs to go. 
And uh, if you might have left a, a note or a check sitting at home, uh, be sure to get that in this evening. And uh, we'll make sure all of that is taken care of. The other exciting announcement is that this Wednesday, uh, all of the classes, all the classes will be meeting in the auditorium. We're going to have a very special message from our elders, the men that helped to lead this congregation, and they're going to be in charge of the worship. And uh, we look forward to hearing the message from the shepherds to the sheep. And again, that's for all of our Bible classes this Wednesday night. A few years ago, uh, there was a commercial that came out that I thought was pretty, pretty clever. Uh, the company Tide put the commercial out, and I think it may have even been uh, a Super Bowl ad. I'm not quite sure about that. But it was advertising a, uh, a portable, like on-the-go spot remover called the Tide to Go pin. You might have one in your purse, ladies. I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, it was, it was a very, very clever commercial, and, uh, and it, I thought it taught something uh, a simple truth in a creative and memorable way, and it's only 30 seconds long. So what I want to do is, is show you this commercial, and then I'll come right back up here, or I probably won't even leave the stage, but I'll hop right back up here, and, uh, and, and we'll talk about what it means. So go ahead and watch this. So tell me about yourself. Well, you know, an organized person, somebody who does not leave details. I'm actually very, very good with groups. Mm-hmm. I've surprised all my goals, my previous position, my prior job, and your competitor. My personality and me have surpassed their own goals. Get famous at mytalkingsteam.com. I love that commercial. I love so many things about that commercial. Uh, but but what I love about it, and th- what what I love about it is that there's really there's a lot of things, but there are at least two things that we can all relate to from this commercial. First of all, you can all relate to the guy staring at the stain, right? We've all been there. We're having a casual conversation with a friend, and all of a sudden you notice it. The stain from the Black Lagoon is on their shirt. You don't know how it got there, you don't know what it is, but you notice it. And you're doing your best to be a good friend, you're doing your best to really tune in and focus on the conversation, but there's always that stain you keep coming back to. And so you've got kind of a tough decision to make, right? Like, do you be the friend and acknowledge it and say, hey, you've, you've got something on your shirt, or do you just kind of casually let them figure it out? You know, that's kind of, you got this this wrestling going on in your mind about it. The other thing we can all relate to is that we've all been the guy wearing the stain, right? You sat down in Coke. You're eating Italian food and like a big glob of marinara sauce lands on your pants. How does that always happen, right? We've all been the guy wearing the stain. And, uh, and, and that's the worst, right? We hate that so much. Yes, we've all worn stains before, but here's my question. If we've all worn stains before, if we've all been the guy wearing the stain, why is it such a big deal to us when we get one? If we've all worn stains before, why do we focus on them so much? If we've all worn stains before, why do we focus when other people have them? I mean, if we've all been there, why do we care? If we've all 
had stains. If it happens to everybody, why do we notice every time? You know, it's kind of weird because um, you'll sometimes you'll figure out that stains, it doesn't matter what you're wearing, it doesn't matter who you are, you can be wearing like the nicest outfit, you can be wearing a shirt and tie, you can be wearing a coat and tie, it doesn't matter, you can be wearing a tux, but here's what we do know, stains get in the way, right? Stains are ugly, people notice them, they become the focal point, like for me. This is distracting right now to you for the rest of the sermon. So let's all try to focus really hard. And these fumes are coming off something awful up here. So anyway, um, it doesn't matter what you're saying. Stains kind of steal the show. And so you see the commercial nailed it. The commercial nailed it because our stains can say a lot about us, right? Our stains almost do some talking for us. Uh, Let's say... For instance, that uh, you've met a a set of new parents and uh, they've got like a white stain up here on their shoulder. You don't have to ask them what that is because you know a baby's been there, right? You know that that's happened. Uh, I know that this this has probably happened to you. Um, How about this one? Your wife is folding clothes and, uh, and all of a sudden she discovers that the laundry looks like an ink blot test, Right? And so uh, one of your shirts has a large ink blot, and then one of her shirts, and then you notice a couple of pairs of socks and another sock, and then, well, guess what? Laura knows that I've left a pen in my pocket, and it's exploded in the dryer, because we've all been there, we've all done that before, and uh, that would never happen, of course, it's just an illustration, uh, that she's never done that before, but, uh, but you can imagine what that would be like. I want you to be turning in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3, it's on page 834 in the Bible. Um, I think more people listen to that part today than have ever listened to that part. Uh, Zechariah is kind of hard to find. It's on page 834 that's in the Bible there in your pew. Why all of this talk about stains? We're going to see in just a minute. I'm not sure when the last time was that you read the book of Zechariah. Uh, But while you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about the book and a little bit about who he was and what he did. Um, The kingdom of Judah, the people of Judah, uh, who became known as the Jews from Judah, they had been captured and taken into captivity by Babylon. And over over time, the Jews were allowed to come back to Jerusalem, the the majestic city um, that was was the crown jewel of the nation uh, where the temple was. But what they discovered is that they were coming back to a city in ruins. The place that they left, the home that they left, was different when they came back. And since there was no extreme makeover home edition back then, it was up to them, uh, the only way that they were going to rebuild the city, they found, was to rebuild it themselves. Well, spirits were low, and times were bad. And that's when Zechariah enters the story. He and Haggai teamed up And as a result of the two prophets' efforts, the temple was rebuilt, and then Ezra was able to come along behind them and continue to build on that foundation and rebuild the nation both physically and spiritually. So Zechariah had a very tall order, a very tough job to do. He was trying to inspire people to work when nobody felt like it. He was trying to be the cheerleader when nobody wanted to cheer. That's a tough job. 
Now what we're about to read here in Zechariah chapter 3 is a prophecy, a very beautiful prophecy that's tucked away in this really kind of forgotten about book sometimes in the Old Testament. So let's read it together and see what it's about. Verse 1, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And by the way, I learned something this week that I should point out. This probably isn't the famous Joshua that you and I think about so often uh, from the days of Moses. Joshua was also the name of the high priest in Zechariah's day. Uh, we learn about in chapter 6, verse 11, uh, amongst other places. So it's probably him. Uh, back to verse 1. He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you and will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they went and, and put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. Now what exactly is going on here? Let me allow, allow me to paint a picture of what we just read. It's a lot of reading, uh, but let me paint a picture of what this scene looks like. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, if you don't mind, to just close your eyes and meditate on this scene, to just kind of picture this. Picture a small courtroom. There's a judge, a defendant, a smug prosecutor, like a rehearsed actor the prosecution rises from his seat and takes slow, premeditated steps toward the defendant, Joshua. He smirks at his helpless victim and flashes a prideful grin in the direction of the judge. Piece of cake, he thought. It's time to close this case. After all, Satan had been inside of Joshua's head since court had been in session and he knew it. He'd ask a leading question here and an incriminating question there. The whole charade had gone on for hours now. The guilty verdict was inevitable. It was another open and shut case for Satan, the best prosecutor in the business. It had never been so easy to convict a lawbreaker, a criminal. After all, the accused was wearing all the evidence that the accuser needed to convict him. The very clothes on his back were sin-stained. The stain was doing all the talking. Joshua is uncomfortable now. He shifts in his seat. His stomach is in knots. His heart is racing as he wipes the sweat from his brow. He's guilty. And there's no doubt about it. 
the judge is ready to give his ruling. The gavel is raised, and Satan knows he is seconds from victory. Now let's stop right here for a moment. You can open your eyes again. There's something familiar about this story, isn't there? There's something familiar about this feeling that Joshua has, isn't there? We've all felt convicted. We've all felt this guilty feeling of a transgressor. We've all felt guilty. Because here in the Old Testament, a prophecy is tucked away in the book of Zechariah that is a picture of you and a picture of me. Joshua is us. You see, Joshua was dealing something with something here a whole lot worse than any kind of stain that we could get on our clothes. It wasn't a marinara sauce stain or a, an ink pen or a grass stain. Joshua was wearing a sin stain. Today I have three important things about sin stains that I want us to notice. Three things you need to know. Number one, just like the stains that you can get on your clothes, but in a much bigger way, sin stains are disgusting. They're disgusting. You know how disgusting sin is? In this passage in Zechariah, the clothes that Joshua are wearing are described as filthy. Did you see that? In fact, the Hebrew word here describes the worst kind of defilement possible for a Jew. Remember all their laws about being clean and unclean? The word can even be translated to mean excrement covered. That's disgusting. Why would God put something so gross in the Bible? Well, when we read this passage, we get a feel for just how disgusting that sin is to God. Sin has ruined Joshua's clothes. In Isaiah 59, verses 2 and 3, it says, But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. We're all filthy. We've all got blood on our hands. Sin stains are disgusting. But also notice number two, that sin stains are distracting. We've kind of talked about this a little bit, but remember in that commercial uh, how it was impossible for the man who was interviewing the other man, it was impossible for him to, to focus on anything the guy was saying. The only thing he could focus on was the stain. And the commercial does a great job of illustrating the fact that stains steal the show. They steal the attention away from the rest of your outfit. If I ever wear this shirt again in public, I'm going to get some weird looks, right? Because people notice stains. They become the focal point. Sin does the same thing to us. Christians, we've got a real problem that we've always got to be on guard against called hypocrisy. Nobody's immune to it. But hypocrisy might be the most damaging stain. I'm paraphrasing here, but Jesus said to the religious people of his day, you hypocrites, you look at everybody else and you pick out the speck in someone else's eye, but you miss the two by four sticking out of your own eye. You see, everybody else's stains except for your own. Why is hypocrisy such a damaging stain? In Romans 2.24, it says that the name of God is blasphemed because of hypocrisy. In other words, when we claim to be Christians 
and then we turn around and we do something hypocritical, yeah, they might talk bad about you, but you know what else they'll do? Hey, did you hear about Justin? He got caught smoking weed. Yeah, I heard that. It's kind of weird too, you know, because he was always inviting me to go to church with him. I mean, I thought he was a Christian, but I guess God really isn't that important after all. Oh, and you know he goes to the Church of Christ, right? They're just a bunch of hypocrites anyway. Whoa, what just happened there? Our sin stains can really do some damage to the cause of Christ. When we set that kind of example for others, it reflects badly upon the God that we serve. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how many Bible classes you go to. It doesn't matter how much the amount is for the check that you drop in the collection plate. It doesn't matter how many times you're inside of this church building. It doesn't matter how many hours of service that you do. Because it doesn't matter how great of a Christian pretender that you are. Because if, if all my friends see is a sin-stained hypocrite, I've ruined Christ to them. Here's the reality. The reason stains look so badly on our clothes is because our clothes weren't created with stains. Neither were you. The reason sin looks so bad on us is because we weren't created with stains. We were created innocent and spotless without sin. We said that sins, sin stains steal the, atta- the attention away from what's truly important. Stains steal the attention away from our outfits, but sin stains are a lot worse because they steal the attention away from God. They take the glory away from God and they take all the focus off of Him. But finally today, I want you to notice that sin stains can disappear. Sin stains can disappear. Remember our courtroom scene? The gavel of God, the Almighty Judge is raised, and he's about to give his righteous ruling. And you can just imagine that the tears of Joshua have begun to fall. They're already beginning to descend. And, and just, before, just before the pound of the gavel is heard, and the guilty verdict is heard, and just before Satan can claim another victory, there's another voice in the courtroom. Objection, Your Honor. Objection. Objection. What's there to object to? What do you mean, objection? Joshua's holding his tear-soaked face in his hands and, he, and he's stunned. Who said that? And why? What is there to object to? I'm guilty. And Joshua looks up to see the angel of the Lord speaking out in his defense. You might know this, but the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is a very interesting study and a very interesting character. Some believe that in some places it is the figure of Jesus himself in the Old Testament. Here the angel is very symbolic of Jesus. I know that much. Because he takes away Joshua's sin-stained garments, those filthy clothes with the stench of sin in them. And instead of handing him the outfit of a prisoner, he hands him the outfit of a priest. A sign of royalty. And he puts a turban, a garment of the priesthood, God's sign of authority, puts it on his head. 
The sin stain is no more. Joshua is made pure again. He's forgiven. He's free. It's a beautiful picture of redemption. In the New Testament, we're told that at just the right time, in our darkest hour, just when the gavel was about to come slamming down, Jesus came to our defense and he went to the cross and he died for us. Romans 5 verse 6. He pled our case when he bled our case. And just like Joshua, we have been given the apparel of a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice too, that God doesn't just redeem Joshua and release him of responsibility. He's still the priest. He's still got work to do. Look at verses 6 and 7 from Zechariah 3. He admonishes Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you'll walk in my ways, and if you'll keep my command, you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts, and I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. Do you see what's happening? You see, cleansing comes with a charge. You see, cleansing and restoration always involve responsibility. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ didn't pay the price tag on sin for you to be baptized and be done with Him. That's not it at all. You see, when we're baptized, God doesn't send us a baptismal certificate or a church bulletin in the mail. No, when we're baptized, He gives you a uniform and He gives you a job. Don't wait, don't quit, don't sit. You and I have work to do. Let's do God's work. Our restoration came with a responsibility. We think, we think that Sharpie stains are the worst, right? Because they're impossible to get out. Uh, it doesn't matter how much you scrub them, doesn't matter how hard you try, they're not coming off. This shirt is ruined. I understand that. But sin stains run a whole lot deeper than Sharpie stains. And it doesn't matter how hard you try. And it doesn't matter how good of a person that you are. It doesn't matter who you know. You cannot get your sin stains off. When John Wesley was six years old, he woke up to find that his family's house was on fire from top to bottom. I think I've got a picture of it on the next slide. Uh, when he was six years old, he found out that his family's house was on fire from top to bottom. Everyone else had been dragged from the building, but by some extraordinary oversight, he'd been forgotten. At that very last moment, just before the roof fell in with a crash, a neighbor climbed on another's shoulders and pulled the terrified child from the window. Later on in his life, someone drew a picture of that scene for John Wesley, and he kept it until the day of his death. He wrote under it a verse taken from Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? You may never have been literally saved from a fire, but all of God's people experience it in a far more important sense. Jesus Christ had, has rescued us 
from the fires of hell. Because you see, the only thing that can remove a sin stain is a blood stain. Jesus offers forgiveness. He lived a sinless life and he paid the price for our sins by going to the cross. And then he conquered death by rising up from the grave. And one day he's coming back. And when he comes back, what condition will he find us in? Are you, ti- are you tired of trying to scrub out your sins? Your addictions? Your strongholds? Your temptations? The, the sin cycle that you, you seem to find yourself in over and over and over again? We fight and we fight, but all it does is wear us out. We have to surrender to Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Are you sin-stained or are you blood-stained? What can wash away my sin? Not me, not bleach, not a tied-to-go pen. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you'd like to become a Christian today, If you'd like to ask for the prayers of the congregation, please come as together we stand and sing.